Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. Today's sermon comes from Proverbs 12, 17 through 25. Please feel free to follow along in your own Bible or to borrow one from the seat in front of you, or you can follow along on the screens. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. This is the word of the Lord. Before we get started here this morning, uh, we wanted to take a moment to pray, to pray for our world uh, right now, which feels like it's on fire. I don't know if you've, if you've been paying any attention at all uh, to the things that are just going on in the world, uh, particularly in the Middle East, uh, Israel, the Gaza Strip. Um, it's a mess. The whole world is getting drugged into uh, the bloodshed, the wars, the rumors of wars. Um, I read one stat that said that up to this point, uh, one-third of the fatalities have been women and children. Uh, and so um, this is not what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Um, this grieves the heart of God, this, this bloodshed. And so we just want to pray and enter into uh, a heart of lament in our uh, prayers this morning. And so if you could please pray with me. Lord God, we pray for our world, and we pray for the bloodshed that is going on. From the garden to the present, we have not known peace, but rather we uh, have known war, and we know rockets, and we know bloodshed. And like the psalmist, we cry out to you, where are you and how long will this go on? Father, you have sent your son to intervene for our sins, and it feels like we need him to come back again and soon, because there's been no end to our suffering. And so this is why we, with the Apostle John, Lord, why we take the posture and why we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The kingdoms that we are building are not doing well. They need to give way to a king and a kingdom, a prince of peace. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are continuing on looking at the book of Proverbs. And uh, if you haven't figured it out already, we're in week two in Proverbs, but we were in chapter 12 of Proverbs. So we're not going through Proverbs in, in kind of this linear fashion, but rather that what happens in the book of Proverbs and what emerges from the book of Proverbs are themes. And perhaps there's no other theme that uh, the book of Proverbs talks about 
more than this idea of our tongue, our words, our language, the way in which we speak, truth versus deceit. And uh, we see this over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs, that the wise speak this way and use their words in this way, and the fool speaks this way. Let me ask you this question. Do you remember the first time you ever said a bad word? Do you remember the first time you ever said a no-no word, a naughty word? Um, I can remember the first time that I ever said a swear word. It's seared into my mind, seared into my mind. And uh, I was having this conversation with, uh, my, with my kids or with uh, my son, Daniel, and he was very enamored with this story. Like, wow, my dad, he said a word. Yeah. So, um, so uh, the context was this. My parents had invited over a bunch of aunts and uncles and cousins over to our house. And uh, so the, the adults were going to go watch an R-rated movie. It was, that was a pretty big deal because they were all Baptists, okay? <laughs> so, so, the, the, so the adults were in, in, in the room, and they were going to watch Rambo 3. This, is, this was 1990. That's what you did in 1990. You, watched, you got together and you watched Rambo 3. So, so the adults were watching Rambo 3, and the kids were told, you, you, you cannot watch this. You have to go upstairs and you have to play. But I thought Rambo was so cool. And so I, I kept kind of peeking in, and I was kind of just on the edge of the room looking in because I just was so enamored with Rambo. I thought he was so cool. And there's this one scene, it's incredibly uh, violent, but there's this scene where Rambo gets into this wrestling match with this guy who's much bigger than him. And this guy is getting the upper hand, and he's kind of got Rambo in this bear hug, and he's just crushing Rambo to death, slowly to death. And so Rambo, this guy's a military guy, Rambo's a military guy, and so Rambo sees that there's a grenade like kind of pinned on the guy's chest. And so Rambo grabs the pin and pulls it on the grenade. And then he says this line laced with profanity and pushes the guy away, and then the guy explodes, okay? And, um, and I was like, as a child, you're like watching this, and I was like, whoa, Rambo is so cool. So cool. And so Rambo said that line. And as soon as he said that, I thought, that's impressive. And so in my 10-year-old enthusiasm, I couldn't help myself. And I repeated the line out loud for the room of Baptists to hear. And an F-bomb rolled off my tongue. And I knew that if Rambo was in the room, he would have been proud. Now, my parents had thoughts, but proud was not one of them. And I quickly knew I, it wasn't good because the movie got paused and all of the adults turned their heads and looked at me and I realized, uh-oh, this isn't good. And so I burst into tears and ran up into my room and, and hid in my closet and cried my eyes out, okay? And that was the first time that I ever had kind of this tangible, visceral awareness that words are powerful. Words have consequence and weight and power behind them. Words aren't just 
noises that we make, words are a manifestation of our thoughts, who we are inside. Words have meaning. Words have ruined people's lives. Words have um, cost people marriages and careers. Words have started wars. Words have power. And we come to that realization, all of us come to that realization very early. Uh, even small kids begin to learn very early that words have power. On the, we see this on the playground, right? Words have power to manipulate. Words have the power to, to uh, build friendships. Words have power to establish and define enemies. And so kids on the playground use their words to build up some and to tear down others. You know, oh, you are my best friend forever. And uh, you are ugly or stupid or fill in the blank. Playground talk to be sure, but serious words. Words that can create wounds and words that can express Friendship, And so I would submit to you that what begins at five, six, seven, what, be, what starts as a child really continues forever. We, we may not say to people, you're my best friend forever here today, or I don't like you, I think you're stupid. We may not say those words. We develop more sophisticated ways of saying those things as adults but we're still saying the same things. And Proverbs picks up on this pattern. Proverbs picks up. In addition to the text that we just read, we see this all over in Proverbs, this pattern of either building up and blessing or tearing down with curse. We see this in Proverbs 13, 2 verses 3. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And so Proverbs exposes that this childhood kind of talk that we have actually never really goes away. This, this is embedded in all of, the, all of our patterns of speaking. And it doesn't matter if you're 8 or if you're 88, our words reveal who we are inside. They expose what we care about who we care about. Our words expose who and what we worship. Our words expose uh, who and what we hate. And so one of the things that I did early in this week was kind of just go through all the Proverbs and to begin to establish a list of here's what the wise say and here's what the fool says. And so here's some examples. I'll put, put these up on screen, okay? So you can see here the wise speak the truth. Right? With one of the verses we just read, the wise speak the truth, but fools tell lies. They're deceitful. The wise are slow to speak. They're guarded. The fool has no filter. They just let it all out. The wise are gentle with their words. The fool's harsh. The wise listen a lot and speak a little, 
The fool talks a lot, listens little. The wise speak words of healing. The fool speaks words of violence and harm. The wise use their words to diffuse anger and volatility. The fool uses words to generate anger. And so it'd be tempting for us to, to look at this list and to say, okay, here we go. We've got our list of do's versus don'ts, right? And that'd be tempting for us to do that. And that's, that's kind of what I initially found my, my heart and found what I, what I was feeling compelled to do. And as Christians, that's what we want to do oftentimes, is to make these lists of do's and don'ts. Here's the behavior I should do. Here's what I shouldn't do. Here, I want to be wise and I don't want to be a fool. So here's this, this checklist for us to go through. And let's just try really, really hard to execute on this list. And then we all go home and then we're all wise, right? Is that, is that what wisdom is? Is wisdom just a to-do list? Is wisdom just, yeah, that's right, no. Is wisdom, is wisdom just behavior modification? Do we just, like as, as Pastor Matt said to me this week, do we just staple these words into our behavior? Is it just nothing more than behavior modification? I would submit to you, no. That's not the posture that wisdom literature takes. It's not the posture that scripture takes. Wisdom is not interested in behavior modification. Wisdom is interested in heart modification. Scriptures tell us that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. I once heard um, author and um, speaker Paul Tripp. He was speaking at a marriage conference uh, that Amber and I went to. And, um, And as he was speaking at this marriage conference, he said, you know, we should all stop saying, I'm sorry that I said that. I didn't mean it. He's like, as Christians, we should stop saying that. I'm sorry for what I said. I didn't mean it. Instead, he said, we should say to our spouse and to others, I'm sorry for saying what I meant. I'm sorry for saying what I meant. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's not that we have this, that wisdom is inviting us into behavior modification. Wisdom is far more interested in getting to the heart of why why we speak the words that we do more than like the, just the literal words or a checklist. So why do the wise tell the truth and why do the wise guard their tongues and why do fools tell lies and why do they stir up uh, you know, anger with their words? And here is why. The wise are respecting humanity. They are functioning out of a, an understanding that they are human and others are human. They are functioning out of an understanding uh, of the image of God in themselves and, and in others. Fools are, are not doing that. Okay? Fools are, are speaking to people in inhumane ways. They're, they're not respecting humanity, uh, their own and in others. And so the wise see humanity in themselves and in others, the image of God, uh, and they say, that person is made in the image of God. That is a human being, and so I will speak to that person as though they are a human being, made in the image, as though they are an image bearer. Right? I won't speak to them in a way that, that where they are elevated to a God-like status, and I'm not going to speak to them in a way that is degrading to them as though they are animals. But fools don't do that. 
Right? The, the fool is saying, oh, this person, I'm going to elevate them. They are not human. I cannot speak humanely to them. I'm going to speak words of flattery or idolatry about myself or about others. Or I'm going to speak in a degrading way, in an inhumane way, in a way that you would speak to an animal, right? That's, that is the posture of the fool. So one is speaking to people, seeing and recognizing the image of God, their, the humanity in people, and the fool is doing the opposite of that. And so our words, what Proverbs is showing us when it gives us that list, is it's actually exposing more than just being a, a, a list, it's exposing uh, how we view ourselves and how we view others. Are we speaking to others with the reality that they are image bearers, that they are human, or do we speak to others like they are subhuman? Lewis, C.S. Lewis has this great quote uh, from his book, The Weight of Glory. And this is what he says. I'll go ahead and read this quote to you. He says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, Lewis is not saying that we are gods or goddesses. What Lewis is inviting in the, the, the language that he's using is this image of God, right? That God has put some kind of divine reflection of himself in all of us, a kind of glory that separates us from the rest of creation. And so he says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror in a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. We're building people up to reflect the, the image of God, the glory of God, or we're tearing people down and turning them into monsters. And he says, it's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, but it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. And so I think what C.S. Lewis is saying and what Proverbs is saying and what God is saying is this, that both the fool and the wise have enormous power to build up and reflect the image of God, or to tear it down. There's a kind of, there's, there's, you think of it this way, there is a kind of magic in your words, and I don't mean like a pagan kind of magic, but what I mean is this, there is a spiritual reality to your words. Every day, I can bless or I can curse. I can heal with my words, they have the power to heal or the power 
to wound. I can build up or I can tear down. Now, maybe you're, you're like me and you're like, okay, great. Um, but here's the problem. I try really, really hard to see the humanity in others and to say these kinds of things and to uh, speak in a certain way, and I constantly fail. And if you're like me, actually, what you'd have probably admit, maybe, or maybe I'm alone in this, but the people that I typically am closest to, the people that I love the most, are the people that typically get the, the worst words that I use. I'm typically the harshest and the most impatient and, and the most aggressive towards the very people that I love and cherish the most. In fact, I feel like the closer you get to me, the, the worse my words become. Or am I, am I the only one? Well, I don't think I'm the only one. The Apostle James said as much. In James 3, if you go to James 3, James says, yeah, we're a confusing bunch. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and comes a curse. And James says, no man, nobody can tame the tongue. Nobody. In fact, James says, if there is anybody that has the ability to control their tongue, they are perfect. And he's basically saying, like, listen, if you can control your tongue, then you are disciplined in, to the utmost. You're, you'll be able to be perfect if you can control your tongue because nobody can control their tongue. Nobody. And so what are we to do? What are we to do then if, if Proverbs is saying, hey, here's how the wise should speak and here's how fools speak. And we're like, okay, cool. We're going to be wise and we're going to speak in ways that you know, build up the image of God and others and reflect humanity. Great. We're going to go ahead and do that. And then James comes along and says, yeah, but you can't. You're going to fail miserably in this. And in fact, the people that you love the most are going to be the people that you are the, the ugliest towards. And it's like, oh gosh. Well, then, how, then what do we do? What do we do? And I think the scriptures give us two relational postures is what I would call them. Speaking postures, but two relational postures that we need to have if we want to be people um, that recover humanity with our words. And these are the postures. We speak words of ownership and repentance, and we speak words to recover what is lost. We speak words of ownership and repentance, and we speak words to recover what is lost. So first, ownership and repentance. If James is telling us the truth, and I think he is, that, that nobody can tame their tongue, uh, then the assumption is we all fail. We all fail at this. We, can't, we cannot control our tongue. And there's two ways of going about this. The fool can justify that reality and say, you know, they'll get over it. Um, or I was just joking. Come on. They'll minimize, right? I was just joking. Quit taking this so serious. Come on. I didn't really mean it. Uh, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, right? Minim that, that's what the fool does is they minimize the power and the devastation of their words. But the wise own their words and repent. The wise say, 
I'm sorry for saying what I meant. The wise say, when I said this to you, I was wrong. I want you to know that what I said was wrong. And then the wise person just stops. Right? Because what the... Have you ever had that... that, I'm using the word fool, but... Ever had the person that kind of gives an apology, but it's not really an apology? Like, it's an apology... You know, uh, or it's, it's an accusation wrapped in the facade of an apology. We've, maybe you've done that before, too. And, you'll, and you know, the, the fool will say something like, well, I'm sorry I said those words to you, but you were coming at me like, uh-oh. Or, um, you know, I shouldn't have said what I said. And then, but then, and then they'll go into a, a gaslighting, accusatory justification. And that's not ownership. And that's not repentance, right? That's, that's back to tearing down the image of God. That's back to tearing down someone's humanity and justifying it. The wise person lets their ownership and repentance breathe. I'm sorry for what I said. I was wrong. I want you to know that. The end. And that's hard, you know? Because uh, sometimes people you know, in the act of repentance, they maybe did say something back. But the wise person says, I will take ownership for my words. So the first step towards using our words to heal and bless is to use our words to repent of our words. The fool says, I do not accept responsibility for my words. That's the fool. And the wise say, I acknowledge and own what I have said. I take responsibility. And the wise know that this posture, this is a relational posture, like I said earlier, uh, is that this relational posture is using our words to reconcile the damage that we've caused with our words. This is true with God, too. Romans 10 says that it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. Right? This is a posture that, that, that God invites us into with him. Like, hey, confess it to me. Say it. Use your words to repent of your behavior. Use your words to repent of your words. And so there's even this relational posture with God. And God is saying that that's the relational posture you take with me, and that's the relational posture you should take with others. Use your words to repent of your words. This is how, that's the first step to begin to heal and restore and mend. We speak words of ownership and repentance. And then secondly, we speak words to recover what is lost. Again, this is a relational posture. And what I mean uh, by that is this. If wisdom is about recovering our humanity, properly reflecting the image of God, how can I, with my words, help you recover the image of God? How can I, with my words, help you recover your humanity? And the Bible is pretty explicitly clear on what kind of posture we take, what kind of relational posture we take. And the relational posture is this, by listening with curiosity. 
And so it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek to say, hey, what words do we, you know, we speak words to recover what is lost? Okay, great. What words do we speak to recover what is lost? Zero. None. Right? It's, we, we listen. We receive. Um, it has been said by uh, a pastor near and dear to us, if you want to talk right, you got to listen right. It's Pastor Matt Salyer. Okay. <laughs> If you want to talk right, you got to listen right, is what he said to me this week. And this is true. This is true. If you actually do want to speak in a way that lifts people and heals people and repairs people and loves and mends and restores, there is a kind of posture, speaking posture, you must take before you get to those words. And that speaking posture is called listening. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Joseph Pine, author of Experience Economy, has this short quote. He says, The experience of being understood versus interpreted is so compelling, you can charge admission. And the Bible agrees, by the way. Proverbs 18.2, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion Proverbs 10, 19, in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but whoever restrains their lips is wise. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool, or the words of a fool, seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. James 1, 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. In other words, if you want to be really wise with your words, then you have to get really wise with your listening. Ask good questions. Be curious for longer. Maybe you would say, well, how does that restore, how does listening, this posture of listening, how does that restore what is lost? How does that restore our humanity? How does listening help us help each other recover uh, the image of God in us? And I would say this, that the listening posture that we are invited into, the listening posture is inherently a gospel posture. Our listening points to the posture of our God who is a listening God. In John 4, Jesus has a one-on-one interaction with a woman at a well in the middle of the, of the hot day. And this woman lives in shame. Um, she has been married five times, and she has been divorced five times. And the man that she's currently living with, or this, the sixth, she's, she's not married to him, and all of that to say, relationally, she's just been a train wreck. She's, just, she's had a, a hard go of it. And everyone around her in her society, in her, in her tribe, they have shunned her. Why is she drawing water in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day? Because, because they would normally go early in the morning when it was cool or later in the evening when it was cool, but nobody would go in the middle of the day. She's going in the middle of the day because she's carrying a story, a narrative of shame 
and rejection. Nobody has ever listened to her side of the story. And as she's walking up to the well, she sees Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, and she's got to be thinking to herself, great, this is what I I needed. You know, it's hot out. I'm going to have to, I'm going to be doing some manual labor, drawing up water, and we've got this rabbi here to speak some more to me, to give me another lecture. Great, nothing like another heaping dose of shame. And then to make it worse, this rabbi in the heat of the day, it seems like the heat's getting to him or something because he starts saying crazy talk, starts claiming to be God, starts claiming to be Jesus. It's like, oh, okay, I see why he's out here in the heat of the day. All right? The reject here and then the crazy rabbi here. But then Jesus dives into her story. And he reveals to her that he is God because he tells her everything she ever did. And he showed her not just, hey, I'm God and I know everything you ever did, but what did that communicate to her? It communicated to her that the Messiah, the God that she believed in, who was now standing in front of her, that he, he knew everything because he had been listening from the very day that she was born until that very moment. He had taken a listening posture and he knew everything about her and he wasn't surprised and he didn't reject her and he didn't send her away and he didn't give her a lecture. And the gospel switch for her is turned on when she realizes that God has taken a listening posture towards her. What does she say when she goes out? What is the gospel message that she begins to preach to the town? It says in the scriptures that that many people believed her. What was the gospel message that she preached to the people that convinced them too? She said, he told me everything I ever did. He's a listening God. He, he, He knew everything. He's been paying attention. Her humanity is recovered, her identity as an image bearer of God is reclaimed when she realizes that God has been listening, that God has seen her, and God has not rejected her. And church, this is the the posture that we are invited into as well. And by the way, this this is your story too. The reason why we can listen, why we should listen, to others is because you also have been heard. You've been heard. From the day you were born to this very moment right now, whatever your story is, all of the things that you've done, all of the experiences, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the heartbreak, all of the joys, everything that you have ever experienced, God has been listening to that. He's intimately aware of it all. And he has not rejected you. You know the verse that says, we love him, we love God because he first loved us. Well, we can listen to the story of others and hold it because he has seen and held our stories. 
What story does Jesus see in you? What story? He knows all that you've ever done. He isn't surprised. He hasn't turned away from you in rejection. He holds your story and he says, what a fascinating story. I find you so compelling. Tell me more. In fact, your story is so interesting and so compelling that I want to take your story and I want to graft it into mine. And I want to take this cross and I want to put it into your story and to cover your story. See, there's not just wisdom implications to our words and listening posture. There is a gospel implication. Your story has been heard. You have been seen and understood. And Jesus is integrating your story into his and his story into yours. And the the cross communicates that, that our stories matter. If If our stories didn't matter, and if we didn't matter, and if God wasn't listening, then he never would have come and died on the cross for us. But he came to listen, to recover your humanity, and to save the image of God in you. And so in a moment, we're going to come and we're going to take communion And we will remember that Jesus came and his body was broken for us. And we'll remember that his blood was shed for us. And you'll be invited as a Christian to come forward and to take a piece of the bread and to dip it in the wine or the juice as your conscience permits. And if you aren't a Christian here today, then that's not our invitation for you. We would never ask you to say or proclaim something with your actions that aren't true for you. We don't want you to be a deceitful person. And, um, but we do want to listen. And so if you are a person here today that's not a Christian and you would like to, to talk with us, we would like to listen. And uh, so I and other pastors will be in this prayer room immediately after uh, I get done preaching here. We'll be in that room and we'd love to have a talk with you if you're wrestling through Christianity uh, and you would like to talk. Uh, or if you're anyone here today, everyone's invited to just come and pray with us. That's a, that is a prayer room. And as pastors, we want to make ourselves available to all of you every week to pray for you and to pray with you over whatever might be troubling your heart. Um, I don't have all the answers. None of us as pastors do. Uh, but we can listen and we can pray together and go to the one who is wise and does have the answers for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a wise God and that you are a listening God, that you've heard our cries, that you've, you've listened to us and you've come and you have done a rescuing work in us and you continue to do a rescuing work in us. And that you've listened to our story and you're grafting our story into yours and you're putting the cross and the gospel in our, in our hearts and in our stories as well. Father, we thank you that you're listening. God, help us to be a people that take that posture with others. That we're slow to speak, quick to listen, to, to, to be curious and loving, and that we would speak the gospel through our listening posture. (laughs) 
Father, I pray for anyone here who's, who's not a, a believer and who might have questions, Lord, that they, you would give them um, some confidence to come and talk with us so that we have the chance to listen to their story as well, to enter into it. And, um, and I pray for the Christians that are here this morning that are going to come forward and receive the sacrament of communion, uh, a picture of your body broken for us, and that it would be a reminder, a loving, wonderful reminder that it wasn't with words that you saved us. It was with your body and your death that you saved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org.